0: reasons why they're challenging. First of all, the general spirit condition that exists in our country today. We see an all-embracing secularism, which if it acknowledges God at all, he's pushed to the periphery, he's really uh, not welcome, and uh, he's irrelevant for the most part. And then there's also the opposition. Now there always has been opposition to Christianity right from the earliest days, and even in our country. But we are facing a new kind of opposition today. There's always been atheism, but previously atheism in the past was live and let live. We don't believe in God, you do. Well, we both do what we like. But now there's a new militant atheism, aggressive uh, uh, atheism, that wants people to abandon anything that's religious, and particularly Christianity. We saw it, what is it? Was in 08 when Richard Dawkins wrote the book The God Delusion. That book sold three million copies. And the idea was the, I, I, the idea of anybody believing in God, they're deceived and they are deluded. And this was quickly followed on by John Humphrey's book. Remember the BBC interviewer and so forth. And his, his title was In God We Doubt, really promoting agnosticism. So that's typical of what we're facing today an opposition to Christianity. And then the third reason why, the third reason why it's a challenging time is because of the opportunities. This is still the day of salvation. This is still the day of God's grace. The Great Commission has not been rescinded. Christ said, go into all the world and make disciples, all the world, irrespective of the circumstances or the countries or whatever is going on. Now the question for us is, how can we stand in face of the opposition? How can we stand firm as we encounter these things? And then secondly, and equally importantly, how can we step out, taking the gospel to our peers, contemporaries, friends, and neighbors in these particular circumstances? Now there is an answer, and only one answer, which the Bible gives. And it may seem very simplistic to many people. And the answer is Jesus Christ. That is the answer. People think, well, that's much too simple. Where's the strategy? Where's the the various means and so forth? You remember the Apostle Paul writing to his friend and it's recorded in 2 Timothy. And Paul knows that his days in planet Earth are rapidly coming to an end. His sentence has been passed. He's awaiting execution. But being concerned for the gospel, he hands on the torch to his younger colleague Timothy, He says, Timothy, you've got to stand up to the plate. You've got to go forward with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy wasn't in many ways made of the same stuff as Paul. He was rather diffident in character. Paul has to write to churches when Timothy comes, uh, give him tender, loving care. He's a gentle flower, as it were. So he wasn't wasn't like that. So here's this situation where there was opposition to the gospel, And Paul said that opposition is going to intensify. But Timothy, you have got the hand on the torch. What does he say to help him? In chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's the answer. That's how you address the situation in which you're placed and how you face up to the circumstances which you're now encountering. Remember Jesus Christ. And he's not just saying occasionally think about Jesus Christ it means never let that thought of Christ uh, escape your mind may that be in the forefront of your thinking and so forth remember Jesus Christ and of course that's the answer in the entire New Testament and it's likewise the, the author of the book of Luke was writing to a Roman official this man had heard about Christianity we're not sure whether he was converted or he was just interested But what does Luke do? He gives him the story, the history, the biography of Jesus Christ. That's your answer, Theophilus, he says. And so every part of the book is presenting the Lord Jesus Christ, and particularly this narrative we have read in Luke chapter 17. Now, when we we come to this, this is a remarkable miracle. It's remarkable because it was multiple. There were 10 lepers who were cleansed and that is quite unique and we'll see the reason why that is so a little bit later when we come to the miracles of the lord jesus christ there are three words used in the new testament in order to describe and define the miracles and one is miracles are powers and that's telling us the means by which these acts these miracles these supernatural acts were accomplished there was power evident and they described it in that term. They sense, here's power, operative here. The second is wonders. And that's not so much the actual miracle, but the reaction of the response upon whom, of those upon whom the miracle was wrought, or those who were witnesses. And they even said it. We have never seen anything like this before. They even said, what kind of man is this? Where on earth does he come from? It is is out of this world. Totally overwhelmed. By what had taken place and transpired before their eyes, of which they were witnesses. And then the third word is signs. Now, a sign is a reality, an objective reality, which points to a greater reality, a bigger reality, a more wonderful reality. For example, ask any preacher, and it's a warm day, and he's preaching, he looks down, and he sees someone going, oh. Now, that's a sign. Nothing to do with the preaching, of course. It's just a heavy atmosphere. But we know what a sign is, a street sign or or a sign uh, pointing at something. There it is. It's tangible. It's objective. But the street sign is only small in comparison to that which is pointing. This road, this avenue, this street. So the Lord Jesus Christ did miracles, which were called signs, and they were not just to focus on the miracle, but to tell us something about him, the person who performed the miracle. Now, that isn't just my idea. That's what the Bible tells us. In the 20th chapter of John's Gospel, near the end, it said, many other signs or miracles Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Many other miracles he did, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might life, have life through his name. In other words, the miracle was conveying a message which we are to understand. It wasn't just a demonstration of power, although it was that. It was a revelation of the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ. Now the question for us is when we come to a miracle like this, what is the message for us? What's the lesson we've got to learn? What's the revelation we are meant to take on board and to understand? Well, first of all, I I, I mentioned this was a multiple miracle. There were 10 lepers. Can you imagine it? This is misery upon misery. Here's a tenfold problem. Not just one leper, but 10 lepers. Here's an aggregate of agony, which our Lord has confronted, uh, which these people cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. And the wonderful thing is, not only was Christ able to deal with this multiple miracle, but he did it just as effectively and efficiently as he did when he healed one. For example, Luke chapter 5, we have one leper. And this man, we're told, was covered in leprosy. There's no doubt about it. It wasn't just a little spot. He was absolutely covered with it. And then what takes place is he calls out to Jesus. And the amazing thing was, Jesus touched him. And that was a no-no. Nobody touched a leper. So it was astonishing that he actually touched him. Isn't that amazing? There are no untouchables when it comes to Christ. He touched him. But not only did he touch him, he transformed him. His skin was pristine. He was almost like a baby again. the But that was one leper. But even then, people were astonished. But here are 10 lepers. Here's an aggregate, as it were, of lepers. And they call out to Jesus and he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were healed. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that astonishing? Because sometimes we think about problems. Oh, this is much bigger than the problem we had last week. Or it's more perplexing. Or there's many more facets or difficulties associated with it. And because of that, we immediately think, oh, this is too big. But here was this multiple, this, is this crowd of lepers. And the Lord Jesus Christ wonderfully heals him. How can he do that? Because he is a powerful saviour and a majestic Lord. That's the message for us. He's a powerful saviour and a majestic Lord. And you know, this is not just an isolated incident there are other things which are typical of the principle which are enunciated here you remember on one occasion there were crowds listening to jesus and they were with them for a long period of time and during the course of the day it became obvious that people were hungry they needed feeding and we were told there were at least four, thousand, who were present and the lord jesus feeds them what does he do it with with a few loaves and a few fish. Isn't that astonishing? A few loaves. How can he do that? Because he is a powerful. He is a powerful Savior. He is a majestic and mighty Lord. He's the creator of all things in the flesh in time and history. He can do things like that. But on another occasion, there were 5,000. That's not nine more. That's not 90 more. It's not even 900 more. That is a 1,000 more. Can you imagine it? If we were faced, a thousand more have come. And yet he feeds them with a few loaves and a few fish. How can He do that? Because he is a powerful saviour and a majestic Lord. The ladies will know what I, I'm going to say here. Here's Anna. I think you've got two brothers and sisters. Two of each. Two of each. Two, two of each. Well blessed. <laughs> I had three and two. I had five brothers and sisters. But there it is, and Anna has invited a few friends for Sunday lunch, and she wants it just to be perfection. Her best meal is put on, the table's laid, uh, and everybody's just about to sit down. She's taken off uh, her apron and ready just to relax. And suddenly the, the bell rings, and she goes to the door and looks. It's her brother and his family, five of them, and they look as if they haven't been fed for a month. And they said, Oh, we're just passing, we thought you wouldn't mind if we come. And Anna smiles says, Oh, please come in She runs to the kitchen and with her normal efficiency, she's spreading more plates out and trying to get a bit more food. And she wipes her her, blo- her brow. And then she sits down and just about just about to say grace and thanks for the meal. The bell rings. And here's her sister. And they said, Anna Oh, we've been just longing to come and see you. Can we come in? And Anna says, yes, please. And runs to the kitchen. Panic, panic. What am I going to do? But you know, there's a thousand extra for that meal. And there's no perplexity. And there's no panic. And there's no sign of anxiety. There's no wiping of his brow. There's no furrow. He didn't have to consult anybody and say, well, how are we going to deal with this? No. An extra thousand, but he feeds them with a few loaves and a few fish. How can he do that? He is a powerful saviour and a mighty and majestic Lord. Can I ask you, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? When you face the problems, when you, we go to tomorrow, when we face the opposition, do we really, really believe that? I'm not sure whether it was Keats who said it, and he was talking about the, the reign of Elizabeth I, and, and, and he spoke about um, the irresistible gusto of the Elizabethan voice. I'd love to be able to put words like that together, wouldn't you? We would say it today, they were up for it, whatever they were going to face, whether it was the Spanish and the Armada, or whether it was the Dutch, and we were, they were up for it. You know, there is the indescribable gusto of the Christian voice, which echoes right throughout the New Testament. And it's almost like their watchword, their motto, even their battle cry. And it's just three simple words, three simple words. And the words are, He is able. And you'll find that recorded right throughout the letters of the New Testament. He is able. Hebrews chapter 2. And here was Christian people. Many were discouraged. Others were, had even given up meeting because of what's the point? It was so hard. It was so difficult. Look at the, the great panoply of Judaism. And we we're so insignificant. We we're almost like non entities. And what we are told is said to these people in that situation He is able. He was tempted in all points such as we are without sin and is able to strengthen and encourage us. Isn't that wonderful? If you're discouraged today, if you feel like giving up and giving in, he's able. And if you go on to the seventh chapter, it's even a bigger and a bolder statement. And it says, he is able to save completely to the uttermost, to perfection, all those who come unto God to him. Whatever their past. Whatever they've been in the past. Whatever they are in the present. Whatever they might face in the future. He is able to save to the uttermost. All those who come to God by him. You know, he is able. He is able. And going on, the Apostle Paul. He's writing uh, to the Church of Philippi. Uh, and he's comparing what we call our lowly body. Our body of Humiliation. That means the present body we have, like unto Christ's glorious resurrection body. Can you imagine what, what, he, what he's saying there? He says our lowly body, because they're susceptible to sickness, even tiredness, and even death itself. They become a vehicle for sin, outwardly towards other people, and, and, and so forth. It's a lowly body. But he's talking about this, this body of, like unto Christ's glorious body, in perfection, Without any limitations, that wonderful body of Christ, and Paul tells us that that transformation is going to take place in the twinkling of an eye, in one fiftieth of a second, the bodies of all believers at all time are going to be trans- transformed. Isn't that amazing? And he tells us how. He said because he is able to subdue all things to himself. There are no impossibilities in that level the lord jesus christ Uh, and then philippians chapter 3 a wonderful prayer Uh, if you read the prayer it's majestic in every facet it talks about uh, being strengthened inwardly by the spirit that christ might dwell in your hearts by faith you might be rooted and grounded in love and then it says that you might be filled with all the fullness of god can you tell me what that means filled with all the fullness of god and I can imagine Ephesian Christians saying, Paul, we're not in that league. That's premier division for you. We're not even in it. We're non-league players. And Paul says, you better believe it. Not only can he do that, he says, but now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or even imagine. If you think that prayer is majestic, he can do far more. You ask any pastor and I'll tell you, Adrian's probably no different. Sometimes he imagines the church overflowing and and people up and he's having to get further and further back uh, until they're almost sitting on his uh, his feet. I'm sure Adrian's had imaginations like that. Have you, Adrian? (laughs) Very funny, stupid people like me have that. (laughs) But even if we imagine that, they can do far more. They can do far more. Oh, dear friends, uh, oh, oh, to have this, this grip, this, this sense that he is able. He is a powerful Lord. he is a majestic, mighty saviour. I, I don't know all of you personally. Maybe there's some here today and you're seriously considering Christianity. You've come to see that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. But you're thinking, I couldn't live that life. I'm not like that. I can't can't be like my parent. I can't be like my friends. I'm glad you realize you can't live that life because you can't. That's why Christ came when we were without strength, without power. He came. And he's able. He's able to save you, to keep you, to strengthen you, to live the life that he imparts to you. Maybe you're a believer. You've had a tough time. I don't know why it is, but you've had a tough time and you just think, you've failed and you almost feel like throwing the towel in and say, I can't go on like this. I I just can't live like this. I can't bear being at such a low level of Christian experience. I want to tell you, he's able. He's able to to, to help us, to strengthen us. He has the power. He has the desire. He has the will. We have to, well we have to be willing you know for that. Perhaps some of you, you've got family or friends or neighbors you've been praying for, and you may be been praying for them for years, and instead of them coming closer to God, they seem to be going further away. And you might be tempted to give up, or at least you're just going through the forms. I know what it's like to be in that situation. I had a brother a few years older than me. Uh, I was converted in my teens. But, but he went his own way until he was the age of 70 I must admit I was still praying for him but it was more than form than real feeling but, but he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even think according to that power he has you know my brother we came to the Lord at 70 and you wouldn't believe he's only been a believer for a few years He's able. Maybe it's in Christian service. And it is hard work at times. And there's little fruit. Samuel Chadwick. The great Methodist preacher. And Chadwick had two portions of scripture. Which he read every week. One on Sunday morning. From Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. He said I wanted to go to public worship. With great thoughts of Christ. What a way to come to worship. But then he had for monday isaiah chapter 41 i think it's verse 14 and 15 and it says don't be afraid you worm jacob he said some days the preaching was hard and i felt i'd failed and just thought i'm worthless and helpless and useless Fear not thy womb, Jacob. You know, any preacher will tell you, or anybody who's done any preaching, you know what it's like. I remember one Sunday preaching, and uh, I was really excited while I preached. It was as flat as a pancake. And you know these bad sermons, you can't get them finished. They seem to take on a life of their own. And, you try and, and I was saying to myself, Oh, Lord, help me to shut up and sit down. It's killing these people. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I did? I turned the wine into water. I really did. But those words Fear not, you worm, Jacob. I will make you into a, a sharp threshing instrument, and you will crush mountains, and you will glorify me. I have never seen a worm move a stone or a rock. Never mind a mountain. How can he do that? He's a powerful saviour. He's a mighty Lord. And people like you and me and all our weakness and wretchedness, he wonderfully can wonderfully use us and bless us. That's why we can stand. And that's why we can step forth in these days. That's the first lesson. Do we believe it? He's a powerful saviour. And then the next thing we're meant to find here, the lesson is... uh, You notice there were 10 lepers. And it's mentioned two occasions. 10 called out. Only one of the 10 returned. Only one out of 10. But you know something? The Lord didn't say. Oh. There's only one returned. He's time for the one. He speaks to the one. He actually ministers and blesses to the one. Isn't that amazing? These words... He, Jesus, the almighty powerful saviour, speaks to the single healed leper. Isn't that wonderful? Why? Because that the powerful saviour is a personal saviour. That's the glorious thing, isn't it? He's personal. He speaks for the one. And you find this again illustrated right throughout the scriptures. Again and again. You find it. He does it. You remember there's a woman and christ was surrounded by a crowd pressing on him and this woman had an internal hemorrhage and what she does was she actually somehow pushes through the crowd and just manages to touch the very end of the fabric of his clothing and jesus said who touched me he knew can you imagine it i mean he (laughs) says to the disciples who touched me And they said, "Lord, look what's happening!" It was like it was like Ireland playing England at a rugby match, and the scrum and the Irish scrum was pushing the English scrum back and back from halfway line until they push him right over the line and score a try. I can dream, can't I? (laughs) but 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 you can imagine what it was like. He knew one touch. I thank God for that story. I was converted in my teens. Then afterwards I had a little bit of education and I started to think about astronomy. I thought about the galaxy Andromeda. The nearest galaxy to us had 600 million suns. <laughs> and I thought about the demographics of the Earth. At that time there were 7 billion people on the Earth. It meant there had been about 70 billion from the beginning of humanity. I'm one of 70 billion in a tiny planet. <laughs> I just thought, why would you be bothered with me? That's the way I thought. And I became deistic in my religion. There's a God up there, but why should he be interested in me? How could I have any personal dealings with him? Instead of thinking he's so great and so mighty, he can do it. I was thinking he was so great. Why should he do it? And then that picture of the crowd all pressing in Jesus. And one little touch. Don't let the devil tell you. You're talking to yourself. He isn't interested. He doesn't care. Remember when Christ was going up to Jerusalem. And he was going to do the greatest thing that ever happened on planet earth. He was going to the cross. To die in the place of sinners. To take the penalty and the punishment that we all deserved. And he was doing it out of love. And he was making his way to Jerusalem. And nothing was going to stop him. But on the way they go through Jericho. And a man who was a beggar. A blind beggar. Cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people tell him to shut up. Instead, he shut it up. You know what the Bible says? Jesus stood still. And he speaks to Bartimaeus. But I can imagine some of you saying, "Ah, that was all right while he was here upon earth. That was very physical. You remember Saul, the persecutor of the church, on the way to Damascus to do his worst? And while they're going there, Christ breaks into his life. And and then uh, Saul is told to go into Damascus. Simultaneously, the Lord speaks to a man called Ananias. And Ananias wasn't there when when Saul had that encounter with Christ. But the Lord says to him, his name is Saul. He tells him the street he's in, the street called straight. He tells him the house he's in, the exact house. And he tells us, He tells Ananias exactly what Saul was doing. He was praying. I call that personal. The mighty, majestic Christ. The mighty saviour, the all-powerful saviour, is a personal saviour. I'm sure many of you have heard of John Wayne, have you? (laughs) Uh, uh, All these cowboy films and whatnot. John Wayne had a friend, and both of them were really are religious this friend was a songwriter and he heard the gospel was wonderfully converted was born again and he wanted to share with John Wayne what had happened to him he wondered what the reaction would be knowing what John Wayne was like he said John I want to share something with you he says what is it he said John I've become a Christian I've been saved Christ has forgiven me and given me new life and his friend said John Wayne went quiet and bowed his head and then he said wistfully he said that's wonderful but things like that don't happen to people like me it doesn't happen to people like me This friend who was a songwriter had those words in his mind. Things like this don't happen to people like me. And he wrote a song, a Christian song. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll welcome you. It is no secret what God can do. And dear friends, that's the reality of the personal Savior. What he's done for thousands Millions of others. He can do for us. He can do for you. With arms wide open, He'll welcome you. What a welcome! The leper was welcomed. Bartimaeus was welcomed. Saul was welcomed. And all whosoever will may come they're welcome do you believe it he's a powerful Savior do you believe it do you believe it he's a personal Savior do you believe it he can be a powerful and personal Savior to you and for you with arms wide open he'll welcome you Evelyn Bell uh, I don't know if you've heard of her, but Evelyn Bell, uh, someone who greatly loved music. And she heard it was a famous virtuoso coming to London, to the King's Hall. And she went to the, the uh, venue to get a ticket. And the, the manager said, I'm sorry, my dear, there's not a ticket to be had. And she tried to use all her feminine charms, says, please, just one ticket for, for little me, please. He said, my dear, if there was a ticket, I would gladly let you have it. I'm sorry. She was about to go out, and the musician who was given the performance came in, and she thought, this is my opportunity. And she went to him and said, sir, I've been longing to hear you play in person. Would you, would you get me a ticket? And very graciously said, my dear young woman, every performance is sold out. There's not a ticket. She said, my heart sank. She said, I thought my moment had gone. She said, come with me. He took her into the auditorium, put her in the best seat. He had come that day to try out his performance. And he gave the entire performance for her. And she writes in her book, you know what she wrote? He did it all for me. For me. I want you to lift your eyes much further than that and think about Bethlehem. And he who was rich yet for our sakes became poor, born in such poverty, in the midst of such hostility, faced the temptations of the devil, the ridicule of men, despised and rejected a man of sorrows. And he went to the cross, for our sakes and our salvation, he did it all for us. All for us. What should be our response? Well, the leper got down his knees and thanked God, and thanked God and glorified for what had happened. And that's just typical. I was just reading a book this week by Ebenezer. Um, Ebenezer uh forgotten say it. Spencer, doctor. And he records an encounter he had uh, uh, about a lady. She'd never been to church, never been never read a Bible. No one spoke to her about Christianity or about religion. And she found herself desperately ill, and Ebenezer Spencer went to see her and spoke to her about the Lord. And he said, She said Did he do that for someone like me? Who's disregarded him? Who's despised what he did? Who only thought of herself? And she came to Christ. And this is what she wrote. I wonder at God. Never was there such love. He is all goodness. I want to praise him. My soul loves him. I delight to be his. He has forgiven me, a poor sinner. My delight is... God is king over all and saves sinners by Jesus Christ. He said, and then she goes on to say, just how she rests and delights. It's a wonderful world. That's the way the leper felt. If you know him, is that the way you feel? That's the way we should feel. He's an all-powerful saviour. And he's a really personal Lord to all who will call upon him. Amen.